1: Welcome into Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio today by Shotgun Spratling and Austin Green making his Tunnel Vision debut. We're here to recap the USC's 30 to 14 win over Washington State. Fellas, big win for USC. Austin, welcome to the Tunnel Vision crew.
2: Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Happy to be here and be here with
3: Shotgun in person. What an honor for my first tunnel vision debut. Yeah, I've just been partying and having a great time all weekend, watching games while you know while attending weddings. Uh, but yeah, you know, I figured I'd stop by, check things out here in the studio, and uh, you know, since it's Austin's first time, I wanted to be here for him, just to you know give him that moral support. He couldn't resist coming back, old time's <laughs> sake.
1: Now, Austin, I know you want to start by talking about Tui Tui Pelotu as the defense was a big part of this thirty to fourteen win. Why don't we start there?
2: Yeah, I mean I. I literally have on the top of my show notes is just TUI TUIPULOTU in all caps because what else can you say? Three sacks all in the first half, two within three snaps, just an incredible performance. Really helped set the tone um, for USC defense that got pressure to Cam Ward all night. You know, we've talked about for anyone that's watched USC for a long time, it seems like no matter who the defensive coordinator, what the scheme is, they always struggle against mobile quarterbacks. Well, shotgun, they went up against a really good mobile quarterback, in Cameron Ward last night, and they did a phenomenal job against him. Uh, Tuley, of course, leading the way with three sacks, four tackles for loss as well, stepping up uh, with the other defensive captain, Shane Lee, obviously unable to go.
3: Yeah, I mean, the fact that the defense comes out and you, you don't have Shane Lee, you see that before the game, and – you know, uh, Lincoln Riley told us during the week that he was going to play, and, you know, he said after the game that he was expected to play and didn't. So hopefully that means that Shane Lee is coming back soon for USC because they will need him against Utah, I think, just with the way that game is going to be more of a grinded out type of, of, of game potentially. Um, so you don't have Shane Lee, and then you lose Caleb Bullock early in the game. So you've lost a leader from two different levels. So what needs to happen? Well, the leader on that third level needs to step up and make some plays, and that's what you saw from Tulu Tupelo, too. You know, the the three sacks, I think he now has seven on the season. I believe Chris tweeted out that he's leading the nation in sacks now. He's been uh, racking up those tackles for losses, but you did not really noticed that you know the sack total kind of taken off, but when you get three in one game, that'll definitely play into it. Also, Nick Figueroa had a couple as well. So you know some of the older guys on that defensive line stepping up. But I thought Tyrone Tolini was making an impact early. He got the, his first start in, in that uh, in that position in, in front of Dejon Benton. So you know seeing some different guys and. You know, some the depth on that defensive line is a little bit different um, right now. With you know pretty much everybody healthy, and Lincoln Riley mentioned that after the game was the opportunity now they can rotate some people in, and, and maybe that's why they're a little bit fresher in the set. They're they're a little fresher in the second half, and maybe that's why you're seeing them kind of take off in the second half. I mean, once you're shutting out Washington State in this game, they're now they're now beating their opponents sixty-two to seven in the third quarter, which is just unfathomable if you watched USC in the third quarter last year and the fact that they could not score a touchdown to save their lives in the third quarter. So the, the way that they've turned things around and, you know, Alex Grinch complains when you ask him about how well they're doing in the third quarter, he ask, he complains about the fact that they're not doing that in the first half, but that's that's coaching for you. Uh, but it's interesting to see how vastly different this team is from last year. I mean, and obviously we knew a lot of things were going to be different. And the fact they're 6-0, they're already bolt eligible after not making a bowl game last year, but just some of those specific things like not being able to control a mobile quarterback, third quarters being absolutely terrible. Um, And you know, the running game, being able to lean on it the way they have this season. And last year they could with Keontae Ingram a little bit, but Travis Dye stepping up when the offense was sputtering again early in the, in the, that third quarter, they finally just said, Hey, let's, you know, ride him a little bit here in the second half. And the offense kind of took off those last few drives and, if if they don't get stopped in the red zone those final two drives the the score looks way different you know if you add you know eight more points on there with two touchdowns to the field goals but USC gets a win covers the spread and 6 and 0 top 10 team going to Utah i mean we wondered hey would this be the matchup of the season for USC and how would it determine their season but when you're 6 and 0 now you've built in a little bit of cushion, so if you do lose at Utah, then you have you know that little bit of buffer that you can still make a lot of things happen in the season. So you know they're finding different ways to win every week, and it's it's a fun team to watch because you kind of don't know who's going to be the one to step up. Uh, but when you when you really need someone to step up, you need to, those big time players to do that, and Thule definitely did that.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and it was cool to see. I did the social media roundup late last night after the game, and it was cool to see even some uh, NFL draft analysts start talking about him as a potential you know, maybe second-round, maybe even first-round guy, uh, just a ferocious defensive end. Um, also, credit to Alex Grinch, Sean Nua, Roy Manning for the ideas to move Tully around. We saw him play off the edge a little bit. That seemed to really give him a bit of a spark. Um, he almost had a fourth sack in there, but Nick Figueroa got to Cameron Ward first, Figueroa, of course, picks up two sacks of his own. Uh, so yeah, just an incredible, an incredible turnaround. I think uh, Chalk and you made a really good point where I think even after seeing how much this team seemed to really struggle in multiple facets, we kind of expected okay, Lincoln Riley comes in, and brings new energy, brings a lot of great new players. But it seemed like it would be a little maybe the team would be a little one-dimensional. You know, really talented offense, maybe not as much on the defense. They're really thin at certain uh, position groups. But like you said, this team finds. All different ways to win, whether it's uh, with you know we saw in Oregon State and a bit in this game, uh, really relying on the defense to make some key stops. I think it's also key that the defense didn't didn't did not create this momentum. They did not create their success off turnovers. They didn't have a single turnover. They just got good old fashioned stops.
3: Yeah, do it in a different way. Uh, you know, they didn't get the interceptions, they didn't get the, you know, but they got the, the they got impact plays still with the sacks and getting off the field on third down. Um, and, and, you you know, Thule is a guy that you can move around, do different things with. I mean, the sequence where he had the two sacks and three plays, one of those is coming off the edge. The other one on third down, he moved inside and does a stunt with Brandon Peely. And, you know, you just see the athleticism there to when you move him inside, hey, he can beat the guards, he can do different things with his athleticism, where um, he can go on the edge as well and beat with power um, or the speed off the edge. So that's what makes him so dangerous is the fact that he has all those different abilities, and that's why you've seen him moving up in it. And you know, we had a question, uh, You know, why did, why did 24-7 sports rate Tulia a three-star coming out of high school? Um, I, I know Greg Biggins uh, was a proponent of him being a little bit higher rated, uh, but one of the questions was, Okay, is he a tweener? You know, does he do you have to put on pounds and movement side? You know, is he fast enough to come off the edge? And he's only gotten better and better and better each season, and that's sometimes that's the hard part of, of determining the development of a player is okay. Can they take that next step, or are they going to be you know the player that we're seeing them in high school, where he's making some plays in high school, but you don't know if that's going to translate as well. So that's one of the reasons why he's a guy that kind of fell a little bit. Um, we really liked him, saw him multiple times, and just always you know the the one thing that stood out to me watching him is I saw Londell a few times, and you know Jalen Daniels uh, on that team who's the quarterback at at uh, Kansas right now, doing really well before the injury he had uh, on Saturday, but is seeing that he's a playmaker. And, you know, he would be out there and he would make plays. So when his team needed something, when Lawndale needed something, he would make a big play for them. And that's what you saw yesterday with, you know, with a couple guys not uh, available for USC. You know, you got a guy that finds a way and steps up and makes some plays, and that's why the defense was able to, to get a win.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And was it just Thule, too? Uh, you know, I think – I was kind of thinking earlier today that Makai Blackman has kind of been the unsung hero of this defense as that first cornerback, really limiting the big plays. Uh, Eric Morris and Cameron Ward, the offensive coordinator and quarterback at Washington state love the deep ball, just like Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams do obviously some shared lineage there with both kind of coming, both uh, Morris and Riley coming from Texas tech air raid system, um, both very dynamic athletic quarterbacks, but Makai did a really good job of uh, limiting the big play, limiting their top receiver. And uh, even Jack met, Jack uh, brought to my attention earlier today, Jim Nagy, who runs the Senior Bowl, and uh, some other draft analysts, I believe, too, have really, are really, really liking Mikai Blackman as a potential sleeper draft pick. Uh, Jim Nagy, I believe, said uh, he already was on, kind of on his radar at Colorado, but has taken another step at USC. So that's uh, not only good to see in terms of this season, but going forward especially, of course, uh, Dante Williams, a defensive backs coach there, a d- dynamic recruiter, and has another uh, – uh, has another recruiting tactic here, especially as Mackay continues to
3: improve. And it was interesting because if you watched Colorado last year, if you wanted a cornerback from that team, you were going to the other side of the field. Um, I think it was Christian Gonzalez, I believe is, is who it was, that transferred to Oregon. He's the one, the, the NFL body type, you know, is six 6'1", 6'2", long arms. Um, and, you know, he was the guy that tried to guard Drake London when USC played him. But Blackman, you know, he's a guy that, that there were question marks about. Hey, could he stay healthy? Sm- a smaller frame, but he's just been making a ton of plays for USC. And that was the thing. I talked to him when he was first committed. Hey, I'm going to come in. I want to be a leader. And he didn't even he didn't know that he was going to get a start and roll. Uh, that you know that quickly developed. And you know, when you saw him in the spring, you know, just that he was farther along than any of the cornerbacks. Uh, but he just wanted to be a leader in the in the locker room and help this team transition um, and try to make an impact. So then, you know, after the spring, see, hey, this is going to be a guy for USC. When I talked to him at Media Day, you know, I talked to him about what does he want to do to impress scouts this year. You know, he came to USC. That was one of the reasons he told me initially is, hey, I think I can get more looks here at USC versus playing for the Colorado team. And, he was obviously correct on that one, um, but you know he said I got to go make plays and I got to get the ball back. And he's already got a couple of interceptions. The interception at uh, Oregon State was phenomenal. Uh, the the interception against Stanford was phenomenal. So he's already showing the things that he wanted to show to scouts, and he's been great in, in coverage. You know, attacked a ton in that that Stanford game and really held his own. Um, and outside of the 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 PI calls in that Stanford game he's been absolutely terrific for USC gave up a couple catches early in that Washington State game uh, but you know that was the defense they were trying to play off and you know force them to to be able to drive the ball down the field against USC thinking that USC could get those explosive plays on the defensive side and eventually they were able to do that so you know USC's game plan they worked out Tremendously for them, you know, they they, two drives back back to back they struggled but everything else, you know The defense you know made plays and carried the team last night when the offense You know wasn't at a a full throttle you would say for the entire night Shotgun if I was to tell you
2: that Shane Lee would be out the entire game Kalen Bullock another very very valuable leader on that USC team uh, gets ejected in the second quarter for targeting He's gone for the rest of the game Uh, and then on the other side of the ball You know, Caleb Williams had a decent night, definitely pedestrian by his standards. Uh, A lot of drops in the receiving unit. The passing game definitely wasn't clicking. All those things together against a good Washington State team, Lincoln Riley said after uh, that they should be ranked, they should be one of the top 25 teams in the country. Uh, I would expect a very different outcome than the one that we got, but um, credit to, again, the defense, just phenomenal. Anthony Beavers Jr. uh, and some of the other backup safeties really stepping up when Caleb Bullock went down. Uh, we mentioned the defensive front. Solomon Bird was in the backfield a bit. Nick Figueroa gets the two sacks. Uh, Tyron Tulaney gets his second sack in as many weeks. Um, just lots of, lots of good energy, stopping, really stopping Cam Warren in their tracks. Uh, and yeah, just an incredible performance. I think uh, Alex Grinch has a lot to be proud of, especially going up against his old team.
1: Well, yeah, let's focus on the defense a little bit because they didn't allow any points in the second half. That's the second time this season they've completely blanked a team in the second half, and they've only allowed 36 points across six second halves all, all all season. So not only is it the third quarter they're playing well, they're also playing fantastic in the second half. Can you guys talk about possibly a testament to why they can play so well in the second half?
2: You know, it's funny. Alex Grinch had a comment uh, after, the, after the game where uh, he, he said, you know, if I knew the secret to that, I, I would try to implement it in the first half, but I think it's just a matter of you know getting a breather, getting some you know getting kind of re-energized and really kind of going out there with uh, added energy, knowing that you know they only have um, they they only have about they only have two more quarters left to really make an impact in the game. I think that you know we saw that. We didn't see as much of a dramatic first half to second half shift because they were already doing pretty doing some things pretty well in the first half in this game. We saw a much more dramatic shift I think last week uh, against Arizona State, but still, like shutting out this team in the second half is no small feat. And props to them.
3: I mean, I think it's interesting uh, if you listen to Eric Gentry after the game, and you know, it's kind of what was kind of going on in halftime. What was it? And they were like. It was a close game on the scoreboard, but they—he said—they didn't feel like it was a close game at all. Like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna basically run away with this game in the second half, and that's what happened, which is interesting. And you know, he kind of was asked, w- why would you think that? And it's just the confidence the defense is playing with right now. You know, you got guys on every level is, are making plays. You got gif- different guys are stepping up, and they just feel like you know it's next man up, obviously. But they feel confident in that next guy, and it's not like, oh no, we lost Galen Bullock. What happens now? You know, it's not like you know. Last year is easy to look at and go. Drake London goes down. And you go, oh no! What is the offense ever going to do now? Not much. Now you know on the defense, they just feel like different guys are making plays so much that you can you can have confidence that the next guy is going to step in and, you know, do his job. And you saw Bryson Shaw come in. You saw Anthony Beavers, both those guys coming in, playing some of that safety. Uh, you know, you saw a little bit of mix and match. You know, Latrell McCutcheon got in a little bit. I thought it was interesting, the the linebacker rotation, with Shane Lee not being out there at least to start the game. You know, you have the first three drives. I think it was three different, you know, sets of linebackers. And the fact that you take Eric Gentry off at any time is, is always a little bit of shocking now. Um, but I thought Raylan Goforth played really well and he, he mentioned I, on, I believe on the radio show after the game is like he wanted to put some respect back on his name you know because people have been kind of talking bad about him he hasn't played great at times this season in those rotations and there's been some big chunk plays that have happened but I thought he came out and, and had a great opportunity to step up and make some plays and he did that so I think that and that's the thing you know when, it, when it's your opportunity to step up because someone goes down are you going to make the most of it and that's what USC has done uh, pretty well so far this season so it was interesting to see the di- the guys that did get in there and you know to see them get their opportunities and try to make the most of it.
2: Yeah, Raylan Goforth was the team's leading tackler with eight total tackles. He also had some big, you know, it wasn't just that he filled up the stat sheet. He did in big moments too. There was one play where he's able to stop Cam Ward short of the goal line um, pretty on, uh pretty early on in the game. So it was really impressive to see uh, him really step up, especially you miss a guy like Shane Lee, voted by his teammates as a captain, seen as a real leader on the team. Uh, and like you said, you know, Rayland had struggled at times. we have seen him miss tackles. We'd seen him not play kind of the physical brand that uh, you really need to in Alex Grinch's defense where you're really flying or, as Grinch likes to say, straining to the ball. Uh, but we saw that with uh, Goforth tonight. I think the coaches have to be really happy with his performance, especially since we still don't know how long Shane Lee will be out.
3: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, when does Shane Lee come back? Um, does that if Raylan Goforth continues to play well, does the rotation change, you know, as far as the drives that Raylan Goforth was getting? Basically, you know, before this week, he was coming in every third drive at best for, for uh, Shane Lee. So, the third drive in each of the quarter, each of the halves, excuse me, against Arizona State is when Raylan Goforth came in. Um, and that was pretty much it until the blowout, and he played, you know, at the end, then. Um, So it seems like from the way the rotations have worked, and even though Raylan Goforth hasn't produced a ton so far this season, they want to get him those reps. They feel like they need to have him on the field to continue to develop him. So he's a guy that, you know, when you see guys getting those extra opportunities and you're not seeing a ton of production necessarily you're not seeing any wild plays and that's what's causing them to get that production that's usually a sign that coaching staffs, hey we gotta get this guy more reps we gotta get him opportunities so we can learn from playing rather than trying to learn from watching film Um, you know and, and you can do so much on the practice field but those game reps are ju- just mean so much more. So guys like him, guys like Latrell McCutcheon, uh, Jacoby Covington and Demonte Jackson who've rotated at that that other cornerback spot at times, you know, those are guys that, hey, we got to get them on the field, we've got to get them some opportunities. But, you know, it, it's interesting to see the different guys that are used each week, and a guy like Damani Jackson not used this week. So um you will see how those rotations continue to develop as the season goes along. And that's been one of the things that's been interesting to me, you know, as I'm charting all the games, doing the participation charts and whatnot, is just, all right, who's in this week? Who's not in? And, you know, they talk about every coaching staff in America will talk about, yeah, you know, what you do in practice really matters. Okay, we're seeing that, it seems like, with USC, um, you know maybe it's part partially there's an inju- there's injuries that we're just not you know, you know being told about. that could be a part of the reason, but it seems more like hey, we're going into a game, we've got game plans and the guys that have shown they can you know produce uh, that game plan during the practice week are getting those opportunities. And if you get in a, in the game and you don't perform, you're getting taken out and you may not get back in. you know Austin Jones people you know we had a question, was he suited up? The answer is yes. He was on special teams. He played a handful of snaps in the game, but one of those snaps was a pass block snap, and he got beat on it um, and got gave up a pressure. I don't think he gave up a sack, but gave up a pressure on it, and that's an area where he struggled the last couple weeks, and I think you've seen his opportunities Decline because, at least in part, because of that. If you're not going to protect the quarterback, and you know, as Travis Dy said before, no, no blocking, no rocky. So, you know, if you're not going to protect the quarterback on the pass snaps, then you're not going to stay in the game. So, I, I think that's part of the reason why they rode Travis Dye so hard last night. Lincoln Riley also had a quote
2: within the last couple of weeks uh, that was basically a more formal version of no, bro- no blocking, no rocky, which is if you can't block, if you're not the quarterback and you're an offensive player who can't block, you're not going to be in the game. Plus, I mean, Travis Dye just had an amazing performance last night. It really helped stabilize the offense. 149 yards on 28 carries. Those are both easily career highs for him in a USC Trojans uniform. Um, but that is just, um, just an impressive impressive game for him all, all across the map. Really, really helped uh, close the game. Lincoln Riley talked a lot about uh, after the game how big it was to really slam the door on Washington State. And Travis Dye was a huge reason why. Got a ton of carries to really chew clock uh, in two big drives in the fourth quarter. Um, And it's pretty clear to see how he has just relied on so much, not only on the field, but off the field. You know, he had those kind of incendiary comments last week, not incendiary, but definitely some eyebrow raising stuff about how he basically called out his teammates for showing lack of energy, said some guys just don't know what it's like to lose and face some adversity that way. Um, And he said, he, he said, he thought the team responded well, um, post game. So really cool to, you know, he's definitely stepped up as a leader He's definitely empowered as a leader in that locker room. Uh, and he definitely backs it up with his play on the field as well.
3: Yeah. Um, we're going to, uh, another question. Yeah, I mean, the, you're looking at the defense and the things that they've done. You're looking at the offense, and it was inconsistent. You needed Travis Dye to step up, and you know he did step up in that. But they got to get more guys involved on that on that offensive side. And last night, that was one of the issues there. You see Jordan Addison go down, and you go, "Oh no!" for USC's offense because it has been a Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, and Travis Die. You know, celebration basically. You know, those three guys are going to get th- their opportunities, and you haven't seen that next guy step up. I thought this was an opportunity maybe for Brendan Rice to step up. I'm still feeling like there's a breakout game coming there for him, uh, but you got to catch the ball. You know, he had a drop. Mario Williams had a drop. So a couple guys had some drops up there. They got to be more consistent there. And th- that's why the offense sputtered. There were those, you know, they weren't doing enough to protect uh, Caleb Williams' backside. You know, Washington State was able to get some pressures there. So there were some opportunities. For, there's some opportunities to look at this film for the coaching staff and say, all right, there's a lot of things we we need to clean up uh, to be able to go into the Utah game and have confidence in you know being able to go on the road. Going to be an absolute crazy environment up there. It's unfortunate that Utah lost to UCLA, and it'll be interesting to see what USC can take away from that UCLA uh, victory to be able to use it going forward. But you know, if, if they would have won that game. Maybe there's college game day there. You know, the the atmosphere was going to be just uh, the 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 building wasn't going to be able to hold it. I don't think. But uh, unfortunately, they lose. So now they're four and two. But still a huge game in the the Pac-12 uh, conference. Just because you know everyone believes that Utah could be one of the teams standing at the end, even though they do have uh, that that Pac-12 loss now. So it, it'll be interesting when they go up there. Can USC start incorporating more pieces in that offense? And this is a huge game because. The next week you we have the bye week, so all those guys that are banged up right now, like Justin Didich, you know, guys that you see that are visibly visibly limping uh, in between plays and stuff. Those guys are going to get shut down uh, as soon as this, the the game Saturday is over. But you got to be able to make it through that game on Saturday and, and try to stay healthy. So we'll see what the the offense can do, and you know, do they have to rely on their 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 stars? Uh, to carry them like they've had to do a couple games this season and travis Dye has definitely been one of those guys absolutely you know jack had a
2: saying uh lean up into the oregon state week weird things happen in corvallis well crazy things happen in rice cycles and they usually happen in favor of the home team uh utah is just unbelievably good at home uh travis Dye probably knows that better than just about anyone on usc given what happened to his oregon ducks last year they go in as they were pretty much locked into the college football playoff if they just went out and they go and get throttled by Utah uh, in Utah and then a couple weeks later get throttled again in the Pac-12 championship game but absolutely a huge game this was kind of I I was getting ready because Ryan Abraham asked me to come in and do Tunnel Vision a couple days ago I was getting ready if Utah had beaten UCLA to call this kind of the Pac-12 championship game before the Pac-12 championship game just a huge huge barometer it still is uh, but definitely loses some of its luster with Utah losing to UCLA. That does instead put the onus on um, that big game in the Rose Bowl uh, in mid-November now. We'll see how that shakes out, see where the uh, the two teams in L.A. are uh, when that rolls around. But, yeah, huge bounce-back candidate, obviously a very well-coached team. Kyle Winningham has long, successful track record. They are really good bouncing back, and they are really good at home. So definitely, definitely a, a tough matchup for USC and like you said, they're going to be they're going to be banged up a bit. They gotta just hang on until the bye week. But um, it'll be interesting to see shotgun. I want to talk a little bit about Caleb Williams because it seemed like you know he was Superman last week. Had about 400 total yards of offense, just incredible, making play after play after play, scrambling out of multiple sure sacks against Arizona State. But it appeared he kind of came back down to earth a little bit against Washington State. He was only 15 for 29. 188 yards, two touchdown passes to Mario Williams. Um, but it, part of it, I think, was on the receivers. And Brendan Rice talked about it after the game, too, where it just seemed like they weren't on the same page. They weren't clicking. They need to get back into getting more reps with him at practice and just getting back on the same page this next week. Sounds like that's going to be a big focus. Um, but it seemed like he kind of was starting to play a little more like we saw at Oregon State where he struggled until those, that clutch drive at the very end.
3: Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, kind of the ups and downs that his season is taking so far. Um, And you know, everyone's going to be selling out to try to stop him because if you can stop him, then you have, you know, your percentage chance of being able to slow the USC offense you know rises exponentially so that's what the, the entire game plan is to, to you know to keep him is to force him out of the pocket forcing him to roll uh, particularly to try to make him take away his right hand and force him to roll left and make those difficult throws on the run you know and, and teams are getting consistent pressure and that's the, been the biggest thing in that Washington State game you saw it in the Arizona State game as well and he played some you know played some Houdini in that game but the pressure up front and some of that is You know, with creativity, Washington State, you know, coming in is known for their creativity and some of the different looks that they give. And that's why they had so many tackles for loss coming into this game. I think they were, you know, one of the top in the nation um, there. But you got to be able to do more. And one of the issues they've had so far. Is they're ha- they're struggling with that left tackle spot. You know, Bobby Haskins did not grade out well in uh, PFF's initial grade. You know, there's been a lot of pressures coming there, and one of the things that you have to do then, okay, we'll keep the tight end in or keep the running back in to chip, um, and you're not getting the best efforts out of those two positions the last couple weeks. Uh, and that was the, you know, the question that you uh, or the quote you referenced with Lincoln Riley saying, if you're on the field, you're not the quarterback. You better be able to block. Uh, that was, you know, one of the things that I, you know, have asked about with him is, you know, getting more protection from the running backs and tight ends. I asked that a couple weeks ago, but then, you know, rewarding guys when they do block all, all the time, like uh, Mario Williams does, and you know he gets that touchdown based off, uh, two weeks ago, based off his blocking uh, against Arizona State. So, you know, that's the thing. Everyone's got to be able to do their job and block. And you know, if you're not going to be, if you're struggling a little bit with your left tackle position, that makes it that much more difficult. But you got to be able to find a way to, all right, let's help him out a little bit. Let's do this. Let's do that. So I don't know where Cortland Ford's health is, but the fact we haven't really seen him the last two weeks tells me that, you know, it, he was supposed to be available and just did not play. So, you know, that makes you wonder with Bobby Haskins struggling a little bit, particularly this week, um, you know, is... is is Cortland Ford available and they just don't want to play him? Or have they decided that Bobby Haskins has won the left tackle job and it, you know it's his going forward? So those those kind of the question marks there. Uh, but Caleb Williams, if you protect him and give him time, he's going to pick apart a defense. And sometimes, though, one of the things that's gotten him into a little bit of trouble is, is holding the ball too long, and people see that a lot of times with the pressures. But it's not always that. Sometimes it's that – you know, USC has, doesn't have a turnover all season. That's a remarkable – or has one turnover, excuse me, the entire season. In half a season, you have one turnover. Six games, one turnover is crazy. But sometimes that's because he's not going to take that risk. You know, maybe I can thread the ball here, but maybe, you know, maybe there's a, uh, someone gets a fingertip on it, and he's just decided he's not taking that. So, you know, when you're more conservative with your risk-taking – sometimes that leads to, okay, instead of a potential interception, you take a sack because, you know, pressure gets there because you, you give him more time. So that's kind of the balance. And, you know, I'm kind of curious, does Lincoln Riley want him to rip it every once in a while a little bit more? You know, say, all right. We, and you see that he has that capability, obviously. I mean, that throw to Mario Williams down the sideline for the first touchdown, that's just, you know, terrific throw uh, on the move. And, the you know, the ability to, to square his shoulders up, Get his uh, shoulder, you know, get his arm up over his shoulder rather than, you know, because a lot of quarterbacks when they're on the run, they want to, you know, they keep their their arm down, and that's when you see the the ball get skipped to someone. Uh, they just don't have enough on it. But to be able to you know, use all the mechanics there, and that's one of the things he said after Oregon State is, hey, I went and looked back at the mechanics and saw there were some issues and cleaned those up. So that's why this performance is a little bit disappointing to me, is because. You saw two weeks two weeks prior to it saying, okay, these are some of the issues I have. Cleaned them up, looks great against Arizona State, and then didn't wasn't able to build on that going forward with the next game. So uh, I think that it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back because it's going to be a really tough environment to go play in in Utah.
2: Yeah, that's definitely the most disappointing aspect of this game for me as well, which is kind of slipping back into some of those habits, holding the ball too long, uh, really not seeming connecting with his receivers. There were some drops. Uh, That receiver should have, frankly, caught, as I mentioned. But there are also some balls, you know, he underthrew Jordan Addison a couple times. Uh, There was a catch kind of at Mario... There was a ball thrown kind of at Mario Williams' hip leg area that Williams had to kind of contort his body to catch. Uh, Couldn't... Even that uh, touchdown catch that Mario Williams somehow did get his hand under in the end zone. uh, Pretty low-thrown ball. Williams was pretty open. It it would have been a much cleaner catch if uh, uh, Caleb Williams had gotten that ball up a little further. Uh, Nonetheless, it was a touchdown. So, yeah, definitely... Uh, kind of robs Caleb Williams of a, some momentum going into a really tough environment against a really tough defense uh, in Salt Lake City. Um, so, yeah, so that's definitely a, something to keep an eye on, especially this week. I know Brendan, Brendan Rice and Mario Williams both talked game about how they just need to get more reps, get more consistency. That was a word that Mario Williams used a lot, consistency in terms of getting back in this rhythm with them. And, look, USC's wide receiver room is stacked. Mario Williams, former five-star, had a phenomenal freshman season at Oklahoma, having a great freshman season uh, or having a great sophomore season here at USC as well. Jordan Addison, obviously the former uh, defending Bolitnikoff winner, and he's shown why so far this season. Um, but even some of the other guys starting to get involved with Kyron Hudson to t- catch a touchdown last week. Didn't see as much action this week. Uh, Brendan Rice, you know, uh, Shotgun, I think Lincoln Riley agrees with you. He said something on Trojans Live last week that he feels like Brendan Rice will have a breakout game soon as well. Uh, Brendan Rice has even talked about he's just waiting to catch one of those balls down the sideline, just turn around and just beat his defender and just go. Uh, hasn't happened yet, could happen, would be huge. He's a, you know, the, the other starting wide receiver that I think sometimes gets lost in the mix here, but he's clearly a big part of what the Trojans hope to be doing. Uh, here going on this season, and they're going to need it against uh, Utah. Not just a Utah team playing at home in front of a crazy environment at Rice-Eccles Stadium. This is really the Trojans' first huge, huge road test of the year. Obviously, or- Oregon State was a really tough test, but they only had half a stadium. They still made themselves loud in half a stadium. You were there. You, saw it. you, you, you know better than I do how loud uh, and how much of a presence those Beaver fans uh, and the Oregon State students were able to have. But now you're going to a full capacity Rice-Eccles Stadium uh, for your third road game of the season, uh, uh, and not just facing a really good Utah team, but a really good Utah team that desperately needs to get back on the get back on track. They're going to be angry. They're going to be motivated. They they need this win even more desperately than USC does, much more desperately Definitely. than USC does. And that is going to be you know, there's going to be no lack of motivation for that uh, for that team and for those fans. And you know, this is. I mean, we've always kind of circled this game. I know um our colleague Trevor Booth does the ESPN uh, FPI win probability uh index for the remainder of the season. And it's always this Utah game is the one that with a less than fifty percent chance win probability. That's gonna probably go up this week with uh uh Utah losing to UCLA and the Rose Bowl, obviously, and their defense really looked horrible against uh Chip Kelly and uh Chip Kelly's offense and Dorian Thompson Robinson had a great game. But there I would I would be shocked if it's Gotten above 50% for USC. Um, I expect Utah to be a favorite as well. The line will probably be pretty small, but I expect them to still be favorites in the spread. Uh, so it's you know this is the this is the task. This is the game that we've all kind of circled on USC's on, on USC's calendar, and it's going to be their biggest litmus test of the season, without a doubt. And even Utah's loss at UCLA might have taken some of the luster, maybe kind of ruined their chances of having College Game Day there. Um, but that it doesn't change that this is still USC's biggest test of the test of the season easily.
3: Yeah, and Utah is a favorite there two and a half to three point favorites uh, in this game in the initial uh, in the opening lines and whatnot. So USC goes in as an underdog for the first time. You know how do how do they kind of handle that? Um, you know can they? You know does that give them motivation going in? You know just that you're not expected to win going in. That is something for it, but. It definitely is, for Utah, a much more important game than for USC. Because like I talked about earlier, USC has that little bit of a buffer now. Um, but Eric had an interesting question. Uh, he said, seeing that we can make improvements across all three phases, is you, are you guys optimistic about continued improvements for the rest of the USC season considering they are 6-0 and so far? I think that, um, first of all, great question. Second of
2: all, I think this is something that Travis Dye has talked about a lot, which is in terms of... Some of these guys, you know, he had a quote uh, after the Arizona State game where he really kind of lit into his teammates energy level, which is saying some of these guys don't know how to lose. They don't know how they, they kind of take winning for granted. They don't know how hard it is to win and how hard it is to have this kind of success. Um, so I think there is definitely a lack of motivation factor where, you know, they've they have not they've looked far from perfect over these four or six games, but their record is perfect. They're six and oh. So it's a matter of. Can they stay motivated? Can guys like Travis die? can the coaches, most of all, uh, keep these guys motivated, keep these guys, uh, chal- challenge these guys to continue to improve in practice? Um, I think that they've done a good job of that so far. I think you've definitely seen some improvement throughout the season already, and they haven't lost so far. Um, but, but, you know, like, um, like we've been saying, this is really the test to see, like, okay, can they take that next step? Can they play a complete game where all three levels of the game uh, – Brendan Rice said after the game they haven't played a complete game where all three levels have been clicking at the same time. They're going to need that to have a chance to win in Utah. And uh, really this is the week uh, where we will find out how much they, they, have, they, they have improved over the course of this first season.
3: I think it, do, it, is, it is a reason for optimism when you see one, – one, it's a reason for optimism to see, hey, they can find different ways to win. You can go to Oregon State and the offense, you know, be be bad for three quarters and then put something together at the very end and you know win the game, and the defense just hold you holds the water, holds the water, holds the water, gets the interceptions, uh, you know, keeps you in it, gives you that opportunity, and you find a way to win, and those are the you know good teams uh, can can win the games they're favored. Uh, the great teams can win as an underdog and win those games when you're not playing your best and usc so far has been able to find different ways so that is a positive you know a look at it is you know they haven't played their best ball yet in any in any one game like they haven't been able to put all you know for four quarters put together all three facets so if they do what could this team become um, and it's and it's much more it's much different than it has been the last few years with usc where you see talent and you're like if they could put it together, but you didn't have confidence that they could put it together. It still feels like USC is building in the right direction. It doesn't feel like they're taking steps back at any point here, even though there have been games where, hey, the offense hasn't been as good or, hey, the defense against Arizona State. But then you see Arizona State go and you know, beat Washington, and you go, Wait, maybe Arizona State's a little bit better than we thought. And now with the new coaching staff, they got that little bump um, that you, you usually get. Uh, and are playing a little bit better, so there's different ways to look at it. Still, but I think it is optimistic to look at it and say, "Hey, they're six and zero and haven't played their best ball." And the potential of, especially with a new staff, with new you know new offense, new defense that everyone's still learning and getting better as the season goes on. I think that you you have to be optimistic about what this USC team could become. And you're seeing some of the national analysts and stuff talk that way as well, uh, saying you know they may not be. A team that can compete with you know that top tier of teams right now but maybe we'll see if they can later in the year just depending on how much they can improve as the season progresses yeah absolutely
2: and i think it's also important to point out again that you know players have acknowledged too that they can get better there's plenty of room for improvement you know you you hear some some of these players talk post-game and you know you you have to look up for a second wait they won this game right like you know i think of Brandon rice Post game, this game, I've mentioned Travis Dye post game last week against Arizona State, um, where there's definitely a lot of players, especially some of the uh, transfers that have come in that Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch have brought in, uh, that are you know are understand that this team has so much more room to go and the potential is sky high, and they still have to work to reach that potential. And uh, I think that I think that's a very very positive sign. It's a positive sign already, like you said, shotgun, that they're six and zero and have not played their best ball, they have not seem to have play like a fully complete game um, but it's even more it's even more encouraging I think to see that not only are we realizing that but the players are realizing that uh, as well
1: all right I've got some questions for you guys if you want to go through as we kind of wrap up this episode yep. the last little stretch so this one's ca- question Caleb is an awesome runner but he does not know or does he know that he can throw a ball out of bounds mm-hmm. instead of can take, taking uh, consistent steps out of bounds?
3: Yeah, and that's something we saw Cam Ward do pretty effectively is just kind of as you're getting towards that sideline, just toss it away uh, to save you a couple yards. Um, One of the things, though, I know one of the plays, it looked like Caleb had tucked the ball and, you know, had started to run with it, and the question then becomes, okay, are linemen, do linemen kind of get that sense that he is taken off and running and start getting downfield? That's what you have to worry about. Um, And if a quarterback is pretty consistent, like, hey, they're just going to throw the ball away, then you're not going to get that. Uh, you know the linemen are going to stay behind the line of scrimmage and they're going to throw it away every time. But with someone like Caleb, the danger of throwing it away is you kind of have to look back and check and see where your linemen are to make sure you don't get linemen down downfield. So there's kind of a balance that has to be there of knowing when you can toss it away and when you know just a, you got to run out of bounds because you're going to get five yards and a penalty anyways if you throw it and the refs throw that flag on you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is. uh, I think that's a really good point. I think that there's something. um, You know, that's something I was noticing, especially as we got into the second half, where it seemed like Kale was still taking some big hits as well. He needs to learn where to protect himself. Uh, He's done a decent job as going out of bounds when he uh, when he scrambles and is able to get out. But uh, he needs to. He definitely needs to learn how to uh, understand that. Hey, you can throw the ball away. It's okay. No, you know, no shame in that. You're not going to get flagged for intentional grounding. Uh, You're going to be. You know, you're going to be good.
1: All right, Shadi, we've got another one. This one's specifically for you. He says, Shadi, can you please give us your thoughts on the Kalen Bullock targeting call?"
3: It's really tough because Kalen Bullock is six foot four, and the guy he hit is five foot six, five foot seven, somewhere in there. Um, and it was interesting because you know I was rewatching some of the game today, and there the comments like almost um, a couple plays before it, they're talking about that receiver and uh, Fennel, I believe his name is, and talking about how they took him. Um, with them from Incarnate Ward, uh, even though he's five foot six and you know they're like ah, but he just he's a playmaker, he does this. But the thing that I noticed so much and it's it's disappointing for to see Kalen Bullock be ejected on that play mainly because the film study that went into that. If you watch him, he you, know, you see the movement. There's a little bit of pre-snap movement, and you see Kalen Bullock start creeping up, creeping up, creeping. He was reading it all the way. He knew exactly what play they were going to run, and just blows it up. And it, part of it is, you know, he did. I think it was a correct call as far as the letter of the law. I don't think his intention was to try to injure anyone or stick, you know, put his head straight down. But I think part of it is the fact that he's so big and that guy's so small is that he would basically have to go. You know, kind of dive at the guy's waist to to you know make that play, and that's not how you're taught to tackle. If the guy's a little bit bigger, he basically is putting his head in the guy's chest. But the question is just the crown of the helmet, and that's always you know what if you leave with your crown of the your helmet, you're going to get tossed in any game. And you know it happened, I believe, in the the Utah UCLA game. You know there was a very blatant one on UCLA that took away an interception for them. Um, so you know, there's it's it's a difficult position to be in. You know, last year there was an Isaiah Paul Mao one when he was ejected, and it was only, the reason why he got ejected was because the I think it was a tight end was dropping the ball. If he caught it cleanly, the guy's head is still up, but because he kind of fumbled the ball, his head went down, and then suddenly there's helmet-to-helmet contact. So it's, it's so difficult to be a safety coming downhill these days, I think. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a hard place to be in, and I think part of that, that in particular play was because of the difference in heights on that play. But I was so impressed re-watching that play. Um, with just the wherewithal to know exactly what that play is, and that is all film study is to see, because they're trying to run a little a bubble screen fake, and then run the tunnel screen inside. And Kalen Bullock was not fooled at all. He didn't take any steps to go outside; just straight downhill was all on that play. So it, it's unfortunate to see someone who's put in their homework, uh, you know, kind of get, get get hurt because of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. It's just an unfortunate byproduct of this era of college football. I don't think there is necessarily uniquely egregious to uh, Caleb Williams or sorry, Kalen Bullock's uh, hit that made it like, oh, this you know, this isn't normally considered a targeting call. No, it, it kind of is, and every feels like every college football game kind of deals with one of those at some point. Uh, so there wasn't anything egregious about uh, Bullock's call in that sense. Uh, however, yeah, it's just kind of there's nothing he really I don't think there's anything you can really learn from it. I think uh, it was either Riley or Grinch had a quote that said it's not necessarily a, a huge teaching moment for him. It's just kind of, hey, it happened. Uh, uh, and now, he, you know, you've got to be on the sidelines. you got to be rooting on your teammates. you got to be encouraging uh, your teammates. And I'm sure once they go back in the film study, they'll see kind of like you did shotgun that, you know, he really did read the play well um, and really did a good job. And, you know, he said he's having a great year. I think especially for someone still a younger player uh has really really stepped up as a leader on this defense uh as well and so you know to have him uh to have him read a play so well and blow it up like that i think it's a positive that the usc coaching staff is going to take away from that uh even though he even though he was ejected for targeting like like you said brock Fer- or robert farrell really small uh uh wide out from the fcs level came over with eric morris and cameron ward Uh, And so, you know, it's just the nature of this stuff happens sometimes. And so I don't think there's anything necessarily like a big takeaway other than he played. He read the he read the play really well and blew it up.
1: Another question from YouTube from Big T 37. He has if USC is running the ball so well, why don't they try to establish that first?
3: It's a great question. Um, You know, part of it is when you have someone such a creative offensive mind like Lincoln Riley, He's got a lot of tricks up his sleeves, and a lot of those come on passing plays more than running plays. So, uh, you know, you you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar a little bit of wanting to, you know, showcase some of those plays and, you know, draw up some of that stuff. And you have those dynamic weapons of Mario Williams, of Jordan S., and the big body of Rendon Rice with speed that, you know, he's going to eventually turn a hitch where – You have the the coverage shaded to the side of Mario Williams and Jordan Addison, and you're going to throw a a five, seven yard hitch to Brendan Rice, and he's going to break the tackle and be gone. And it's going to turn into a 50, 60, 70 yard touchdown with one missed tackle. So, you know, they have all these weapons on the outside that they want to use, and so that becomes part of it. But I I think you got to, in part, I think also there's a, a little bit of hesitancy because of the depth at the running back position and the fact that Travis Dye has been banged up. Uh, so you haven't wanted to overuse him too much. Um, so you need to get you need to get Austin Jones, get that confidence back. You know, get the the blocking back to on on track so that you know he feel, you feel confident putting him in there. And then Malik Brown as well. You're know, continuing to get him touches. So I, I think if you you get Malik Brown is healthy and Travis Dye is healthy and you get the confidence back in Austin Jones, you can do that more confidently. That. Hey, we can establish on the early downs and kind of get things going that way, and then we don't overuse any of the, any one of those running backs so that they're banged up, and we don't have Travis Dye later in the season. We don't have this guy or that guy. So I think that kind of plays into it a little bit, but you know, it, it's it's one of those difficult challenges when you have a lot of weapons. Is okay? How do I utilize them all, but also take what the defense is giving me? And if we can run it early, and sometimes that's looking at the defense and so you, you come out on first down defense are gonna put an extra guy in the box you got six guys or seven guys versus five and then on later downs, you know, you're going to, you know, on a third and six you know, you've got an opportunity to run the ball because there's only five guys in the box. So there's different, uh, you know, different chances and different opportunities there where the defense gives you different looks. So sometimes it's a, it's a, a little bit of a, a combination of all those things, I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'd say they're not only weapons, but they're also, they're, they're guys that came to USC to get touches. Jordan Addison, Rain Belindikoff winner, came to USC to get touches. Mario Williams, former five-star, Lincoln Riley commit to Oklahoma, transfers to USC, came to USC to get touches. Brendan Rice comes from Colorado to USC to get touches. You're not going to necessarily feed the running back on every – if you're feeding the running back every first and or second down, you're not going to keep those guys happy. Now, yeah, there's, there should be enough to go around in a successful offense for everyone to be happy, but you've also got to make sure that you're establishing those wide receivers and making sure you're saying like, hey, we're, we're going to get you guys your targets. We're going to get you guys, we're going to get you guys the ball, and we're going, to, we're going to let you guys go to work. Um, So I think that plays into it as well. But yeah, I'd say that, you know, I'd say that definitely it seemed like Lincoln Riley waited quite a bit to really go in with the run, especially when it seemed to be working so well. As I mentioned, Travis Dye, 5.3 yards per carry. That average was over six for most of the game. Uh, So he was definitely had something working against the Washington State defense. And it seemed like, you know, Lincoln Riley maybe just trying to get Caleb Williams in rhythm, trying to see if they can finally kind of unlock that aspect. Never really could. Um, so I think that might've played into it a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, I'd say, you know, as shotgun said, you have a lot of weapons, uh, that aren't just weapons, but also guys that want, you know, want the ball and want to get their share of targets. So it's definitely a tough needle to thread. Um, and, uh, it does seem like, you know, again, we've talked about all, it seems like all year long since you know, Riley rally came over and brought in so many dudes in the transfer portal. USC has a very stacked receiving core and it appears that you know you when you have a stacked receiving core those guys came to get touches and came to make receptions they ain't come to uh, block while you know you do you run run pass every single uh every single uh three down set so i think that plays into it as well um you know lincoln riley obviously has is a really you know Known for his play calling in the passing game especially, so a lot of different factors, but uh, um, but yeah, I think what Shotgun really hit in terms of like, you know, you have so many guys, you're going to want to use them, and they're going to want to be used as well.
3: Let's not forget the team is averaging, still scoring 40 points a game. Yep. Granted, that is still 5th in the Pac-12, which is kind of crazy. 40 points a game, you're 15th in the country, but only 5th in the Pac-12.
1: That's crazy. Maybe it tells you something about some Pac-12 defenses so far. One more big question from YouTube: Why did USC drop in the AP poll?
3: Cause who have they beat this year, as far as in the AP rankings? And this is where it goes back to uh, the SEC and the preseason rankings and the fact that some teams are ranked and suddenly people think those are good wins. When you know playing Kentucky is that a really a top ten win for you know certain team or you know play? I think it was Florida that beat them or whatever it was. So some of that is. The hyperbole of you know the preseason rankings and how that plays into things, but Tennessee did play a, uh, a ranked team and therefore they moved in front of USC. It doesn't really matter if you're winning every game at the end of the year, you'll be in the top four, and that's what does matter. Look,
2: if you're an undefeated Power Conference champion, you are going to the College Football Playoff. There's just there's never been a scenario where if you're unde- you know where all there's been like five undefeated power conference champions for four spots. That just, you know, that just doesn't happen. College football, even though it can be lopsided towards a certain number of programs, it's not that lopsided. So all USC has to do is keep winning out and they will get the respect they deserve. Uh, I think it also matters, like you said, Tennessee's in the SEC. You know, they've played quality opponents already, had a big win against Florida, went into LSU, which, you know, LSU's kind of down this year, first year of the Brian Kelly area, but absolutely smoked LSU. And then, you know, you've got, the the game of the week, honestly, even though you, with USC Utah is a close second. Obviously, a little shine came off of that with Utah losing to UCLA, but you know, game days back in Knoxville for the first time, in I think or the, for the second time, and I think you know, three four weeks, uh, he, you know, Alabama on the road, maybe without Bryce Young, so that's definitely where the college football world is kind of focused on right now, and it's it, it's understandable to see why for sure. Uh, you know, Tennessee, uh, high cal, high caliber team. Um, Josh Heupel, I think I hope I'm saying that name right, uh, is doing a really uh, doing a really good job over there. So uh, there's a lot to like um, about Tennessee for sure, and you know they're going to. They face Bama and Georgia coming up. I would be shocked if they come out of both those games unscathed. If they do, they deserve the number. They're they're going to be the number one team in the country. If they don't, uh, and USC wins out, USC
3: will be uh, back ahead before long.
1: Well, I think that's gonna do it for the episode. Any more notes from you guys before we wrap it up?
3: I mean we got some rapid fire over here. We can go with Jack. We'll save Jack's voice. I will lead the uh, lead the questions here. Thank you very much. Jack's struggling with the voice. That's why you guys haven't heard from him as much. He's been trying to you know, if he could, he would be using sign language to communicate right now. He's got a lot to say, but he doesn't wanna he doesn't wanna, you know, to 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 blow out the the golden uh, the golden tones over there. I'll give you yes. I'll give you
1: nods or or <laughs> shake my head on uh, on yes no questions. Yeah,
3: he's been he's been powering
2: through like an absolute champ, like Justin Dietrich on that last drive, just playing playing through injury, gutting it out. So
3: props props to Jack. Man, Jack Jack's looking forward to that bye week too. It looks yes, like. he is. Uh, Thomas wanted to know: Is there a discrepancy in skill between the wide receivers and tight ends? I'm curious why the tight ends are so lightly featured in the offense. Um. I think part of it's personnel, and I think part of it's just
2: that's kind of the scheme where uh, Lincoln Riley runs in terms of the guys. He runs a lot of three wide-out sets a lot of times where the tight end is mainly in there to block. I know Josh Fallow saw um, quite a decent decent number of snaps uh, in last night's game, but I don't think had a single target. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's just a matter of just kind of – I think it is just kind of a matter of different things, personnel, scheme, different stuff like that. And again, I think it's a matter, of, you know, a lot of the top end talent that USC brought in through the transfer portal was at the wide receiver position. So those guys are those guys came here to be featured, and they are going to be featured. So I think, yeah, I think it's a factor of different things, skill set, scheme, different stuff.
3: I mean, they've used the tight ends in the red zone. You know, they've gotten some uh, touchdowns there, like McCree. Um, you saw Malcolm Epps with one last week. So you know. That's where they're going to be used as far as the offense and maybe on third down and shorts. If Travis Dye wasn't as dependable as he is on those third and shorts. Then you might be, you know, throwing some play action let's try to toss it to the tight end type of thing. But I think you're just kind of going with your skill sets, and you need those tight ends to block a little bit better so they can earn those more reps. Uh, and and that's one of the things which that uh, Zach Hansen talked about before the season was that we have to fight every single day because we know what's in that wide receiver room. We've got to fight every single day at practice to prove. That we're worthy of being on the field, and so you've seen USC with a lot of empty set in this past week against Washington State. Didn't use it necessarily against Arizona State. Sometimes it's matchups. Sometimes you want to spread a team out. That's what they were trying to do against Washington State. Really spread that defense thin versus Arizona State. They, you know they were you know, using more tight end sets and stuff like that. So it's a little bit of combination there of the tight ends. Just you know gotta gotta produce more. And you, after this game, you look at the wide receiver and say, you guys got to produce more. You got to catch the ball. You know, It's your job. It's in the name of your it, your position title is receiver. So receive the ball when it comes to you. Take it in with the hands. You know, nice, soft hands. Let's go. Yeah, I think I think really quick before we leave off, that is important to
2: note. Um, Malcolm Epps got two red zone targets this game, two end zone targets, and uh, Lake McCree got a target as well. They just weren't able to convert. But they were still involved in the offense in this game. Uh,
3: just didn't show up on the stat sheet. John want to know with the team undefeated. and This one's for you, Jack. We're gonna give it a yes or no, head nod or, or shake over here. With the team undefeated, I really want to know who are the towel guys on the sideline and why do they exist. So the towel guys are the assistant strength coaches, for the most part, and because their job is to bring energy. When you're on the sideline and you are not a participant in the game, your job is to bring some energy. Um, I think I think the the, the the one of the sayings they have is if you're juiceless, you're useless. Uh, so that's one of those. So, Jack, how do you feel about the towel guys? <laughs> so excited. He hit the mic right there. There you go. Um, yeah, Big T wanted to know where uh, Foreman, Corey Foreman, is not putting up numbers, but he looks so much more involved in getting after it. Is it just a matter of time before it breaks out, or we need to wait until next year? You know, it's funny. That uh, quote that kind of went viral but from
2: Alex Grinch when he was asked why Corey Foreman wasn't didn't play as much, uh, I believe it was the Oregon State game. Uh, where he didn't he did play as much play after that. that. Yeah, he did not play at all in the Oregon State game. Alex Grinch was asked the next week why that happened. He said practice. He also said after that, and that quote got a lot less traction, that Corey would have a chance to earn his way back into the rotation through practice. It was a new week. You know, this the book wasn't closed on Corey Foreman. I think a lot of people kind of assumed it was. Um it's it's clear. It's in, it seems like, you know, he's in the he's he's he got to the backfield on a few different plays. It seems like he's definitely getting some more reps. So it does appear that, you know, maybe he's improving in practice. Um, maybe he's, you know, different. Maybe there's just different availability factors going on. But it does appear that he's he is getting more involved. And, yeah, I expect him to finish one of these tackles. He almost finished one on Cameron Ward. That would have been huge. I'm sure we've gotten a huge reaction out of the uh, out of the USC crowd. Obviously wasn't able to finish. I, I expect that he will at some point. You know, he, he had a couple good pressures against Arizona State as well. One of these days he will finish a tackle. And uh, I think a lot of USC fans will uh, – uh, or finish a big tackle for loss, I should say. Let me specify. Finish a big tackle for loss like we've seen him. We saw him get close uh, against Arizona State. We saw him get close a couple times against Cam Ward and
3: Washington State. When he finishes that, it's, it, it's going to be fun to watch. And so he played 21 snaps uh, on defense against Arizona State. He played over 30 against Washington State. Difference being Oregon State, a lot of tight end usage, a lot of run game. You're expecting the play action. His job is to be a pass rusher. You saw that more. Washington State is a spread team. So you're going to see him play more in those type of games. But the fact that the the snap counts are going up, that's a positive sign of what he's doing in practice. And, yeah, he did have, you know, in PFF's uh, initial grading, I think they had him with three uh, pressures on the night. So that's a positive there for him. But. Continue, got to continue to work his way, and if he does, he'll work his way up the depth chart. We have a question from Jasper. Has Kyle Ford move up the depth chart as a wide receiver? And I would say yes. You've seen him the last two weeks get much more run in the first half of games. I don't think he had, had gotten a snap in the first half prior to – or maybe one or two prior to last week against Arizona State and got a couple opportunities there. So, yes, you have seen that. Jasper, also wanted to know who's going to cover the Utah tight end, Kincaid. Dalton Kincaid had a big game against uh, UCLA. He's their their second-best tight end, their best tight end, Brent Cuth- uh, Cuthy? Keithy. I can't pronounce it correctly. Uh, but he's out for the season, unfortunately, towards ACL, I believe it was, a couple weeks ago. But we had an interesting question I wanted to combine because Eric asked, do you guys think Gentry will be the primary spy on Cam Rising this week? Because my thought would be, okay, Don Kincaid, you're going to use Gentry on him, that length, The athleticism, use him, but do you use him as a spy? Where do you think is the most effective way to use Eric Gentry this week is the question I pose to you, Austin.
2: Yeah, this is a very, very tough one. You can make uh, cases for both. I would say, you know, I think Gentry had a bit of success as a spy on Cam Ward, especially in the second half there. I would lean towards him spying Rising again. But the question, you know, this question really hinges on: Is Shane Lee going to be healthy enough to go? Because if Shane Lee is healthy, that might free that frees up Gentry to maybe act more as a spy, or for Lee to act more as a spy, and free up Gentry to uh, to deal with Kincaid. But I think this is a question that's ultimately going to come down to as well: Who is UCLA going to have available to fill the other role uh, that the one that Gentry doesn't fill on that defense? That's going to be a huge, huge question going into this week.
3: Uh, Sagar want to know, what do you guys make of President Fulton and A.D. Bone on the field after every home game? Definitely a good feeling when Lincoln says he loves coaching this team. When you're successful, the highest people at the school are going to be a part of it, too. They're going to come over and shake hands and want to see the team. And your A.D. is going to be there basically every game uh, for football regardless. So that's just the way kind of the, the totem pole works there. So.
2: I also want to point out, not to take away from the fact that, yeah, winning absolutely cures everything, but also the, I love coaching this team quote that Lincoln Riley had was in the context of talking about his players and how well the culture in that locker room is built, not just through winning, though that obviously helps a ton as well, but also just, it sounds like they're a very accountable group and he hasn't had to deal with too many
3: kind of culture issues so far. Uh, Big T said, uh, did R. Davis, being Rayjean Davis playing snaps at linebacker would be very telling if he didn't with Shane Lee out. And the answer is no, he did not play any snaps. And it is not necessarily telling because he is a backup for Gentry. So you now maybe they, they could potentially move him during the week if they wanted to get him reps. I actually thought USC might use more dime defense in this and just have Gentry on the field and have an extra, you know, use Latrell McCutcheon as a second nickel back out there with Jalen Smith. But wasn't necessarily a ton of that in this game. So, and give props again to Raylan Goforth. Uh to a CB Namora, those guys stepping up with uh, Shane Lee out. So I don't think it's necessarily pl- uh, telling there to piggyback on that. Mario want to know, do you think Shane Lee will play Saturday? I have I have no idea. We will find
2: out. Um, we will find out when likely when USC takes the field at Rice Eccles and Shane Lee will either be suited up in pads or he will be dressed uh, probably a little warmer, a little more warmly, maybe not t-shirt and shorts like he was at the Coliseum on Saturday. Um, or he could be dressed and, you know, not be available to go. We've seen that happen before with some players where, you know, Lincoln Riley said it was kind of more of an emergency situation where if they really, really needed them, they would be ready to go, but just never really got to that point for, uh, for them. I know Cortland Ford's been in a situation like that over the past couple weeks. So it's a question of, you know, I think it's, uh, I, I think, honestly, we don't know. I, I, I have no idea. We don't really know too much the specific nature of his injury, so we can't
3: really put a timetable on it. Uh, wait and see. Yeah, and it depends on how confident they feel, you know, as the potential of that dress in case of emergency, uh, how confident they feel with the guys that are filling in for them. Um, Because if you can, okay, whatever the injury is, if you can sit them for four weeks straight versus one week out, one week on, one week off – because you have the bye week coming up, you know that changes the dynamic. There are three weeks straight, excuse me. Uh, then you know if you have that opportunity to sit them, that gives you much better opportunity to heal up, and maybe you see some guys uh, that are kind of those borderline cases. If they feel confident with the guy behind them, then you you know you put in the the backup and try to roll with it and, and go, so you can get that the starter rested up and be ready to go. Paul, I want to know is Utah a paper tiger or is UCLA the real deal? I'm leaning towards UCLA being the real deal. Look, say what you will about Chip
2: Kelly. The man knows how to coach an offense, and he has a lot of veteran personnel who know the system really, really well, led by Dorian Thompson-Robinson, obviously, back for, I believe, his fifth year as a Bruin. So it's, you know, I I lean towards UCLA being more legit than uh, Utah being more fraudulent right now. But I And I think, you know, regardless of where Utah stands, they are always better at home. They are always going to be a threat at home, even if they were having a very down year and they were three and three. I would still be be very, very concerned as a USC fan because, I mean, even look at last year. They had, had, I believe, one or two losses on the record when uh, Oregon came and visited them late in the season. And, you know, they played like a playoff caliber team, quite frankly, against Oregon, which was penciled in as a playoff caliber team. So this team is... Very, very, very dangerous at home,
3: regardless of how you know how fraudulent or not they really are. Yeah, I, I think the fact that uh, you know UCLA's defensive line has been really good. The Murphy twins that they got from North Texas, I believe it was, have been outstanding, and I think that's been a huge difference for them. I was not, I did not think UCLA would be very good this year, but they're they're working the trenches. What they brought out of the, the transfer portal has been you know uh, game changing for them, and they really. To me, it still feels like, and I've felt this way for probably two and a half years now, is when DTR is good, they are good. When DTR is bad, they are bad. So that's really the big difference. He, he can be a complete game changer for him because he can run, he can throw, he can do everything. And at times, he can be pinpoint you know throw a pinpoint accuracy other times you can't hit the broad side of a barn but this season has been much more consistent on the positive side and I think that's why you see that UCLA is 5-0 with the help of a kind of soft schedule though South Alabama it looks like they're not that you know the name doesn't sound like it's a tremendous win but they're a solid team I think they're undefeated outside of that UCLA uh, loss that they that close loss to UCLA so uh, you know that's an interesting one there. A touchdown I want to know is Darwin Barlow redshirting. I don't believe he is. He's played on special teams in multiple games this season, so he's not a guy that we that kind of caught my eyes. Oh, that's a guy we've got to keep an eye on to see if he's going to go in the transfer portal as you know he's going to redshirt and then potentially jump in the transfer portal. Um, we uh, got a question from Eric. Has Coach Hanson provided any feedback on Josh Follow's blocking or overall play of our tight ends? The answer is no because we don't get to talk to the assistant coaches anymore outside of Eric Grinch. And B.T. Wanted to, had a question for me. said, your thoughts on the new basketball commit, Silas Dimmery. Heard someone compare him to Melton. That would be great. Have you heard how practice has been for USC and how they're looking? I've heard some positive things from practice. Um, you know, I'll try to check in with that. I'm going to try to get over to Galen Center tomorrow, check in with the coaches and – Potentially see a little bit of practice, depending on how my schedule fits out. But I've talked a couple times with Silas Demery, li- really like the kid, uh, really liked the, the game because he's a guy that's going to impact the game on both sides, uh, both ends of the court, and that's what D'Anthony Melton did. A little bit different game. Demery's more of a true point guard than D'Anthony Melton was, even though he was a guy that could bring the ball up for you. Demery's a guy that if you are able to get the number one player in the country and Isaiah Collier and he comes in as a point guard, Demery can play the two, can be your your combo guard. You can run a two-guard system with them uh, and push the tempo a lot, and that's one of the things that he really likes about USC they're going to push the tempo more this season. That's part of the reason why he committed. You can bring in Collier, do that for a year. Demery takes over, is able to grow at the off-guard position. You put the ball in his hands more uh, the second year or third year whenever Collier uh, takes off for the NBA. So those are things that are potentially working their way. We're going to see uh, um, the last I was told is that collier was a november commitment is when it's going to happen but usc still sitting in a good position there heard some really positive things going on uh behind the scenes with him that that makes it seem like usc's definitely if not the team to beat then they're right up there with cincinnati so you know we'll see how that recruitment continues to progress because you never know with those five star top five players in the country things can change very rapidly so that's an interesting one to keep your eye on his teammate arrington page I believe will be committing this week, maybe even tomorrow. Uh, I'm trying to f- lock down the date on that. Um, but USC looks like they're in a good position there as well. One of the top two teams in his recruitment as well. We'll see where he decides to, to make his commitment to. Uh, see if there's one or two more we got here. Uh, interesting one here. Maybe Jack can even use his fingers on this one. Huge Dragon Balls. Uh, your prediction of how many sacks Tuley has by the end of the season. Halfway through this regular season, he has seven.
2: Um, I am going to guess, I'm going to go with lucky number 13. I'm going to say he kind of keeps up the same pace. Uh, I, You know, obviously that went up quite a bit, you know, in the span of just even a little over a quarter against uh, Washington State. But, you know, he's been the most consistent player for USC's defense all year long. Not just the season, but, you know, what everything that we saw and heard in spring practice, you know, Fall camp, all those workouts was always, you know, Tui's the guy. Tui's the guy getting in all the reps. Tui's the guy always always working the hardest. Tui you know, gets voted the captain. Tui's always leading by example. So I think, you know, if there's one thing we know about Tui, Tui Palotu, especially this year, it's that he's consistent. So I'm going to say he keeps up that consistency and finishes with around 13, 14
1: sacks. I'm going to go 12 and a half. I think the Washington State offensive line got really bullied by him last year. USC does face some better offensive lines, though, down the stretch.
3: It'll be interesting. He'll have a, potentially two more games. He could have 14 games this season. If not more, who knows. Uh, but if USC were to make the, the Pac-12 championship, because they're already going to go to a bowl game because they're bowl eligible, which is crazy considering last year they went 4-8. and eight. But uh, I think it gets to – I think 12.5 is a good number. But it's, it, I think it, part of the reason why it's going to, to you know p- kind of stay on pace, uh, even though there are some better offensive lines coming up, is that I think that – Nick Figueroa getting a couple sacks is a positive sign because a lot of times it's the the second guy that gets there is the one. Someone forces the quarterback to step up or to step one way, and it's the second guy that gets the sack. So when multiple guys are doing well on the defensive line, that leads to more and more uh, sack opportunities. USC continuing a terrific pace uh, as far as sacks. I don't know exactly where they're ranked after this game, but you know definitely up there uh, atop the, the national rankings and stuff. And the fact that Corey Foreman – if he continues to develop and continues to mature, that adds another element off the other side that can help uh, to get even more sacks. So uh, I think 12 and a half. You know, keeping up this, even though they, they do play some tougher ones. Can we get some feedback on Dennis Lynch and Taj Washington drip as they walked into the Coliseum? Anybody want to give a drip check who their favorite was this week? You know, this is where uh, we're really missing
2: Chrissy T., Mr. 10K, because I feel like he would (laughs) love to give a point-by-point breakdown of Dennis Lynch's farmer drip. I will say, though, uh, just Dennis Lynch's overall drip this year has been phenomenal. And, uh, you know, from pulling out the Dwayne The Rock Johnson in week one uh, and, you know, just some of the stuff that he's had over the past few, uh, over the past few weeks to, you know, the, uh, the amazing farmer drip he had. Um, he also, you know, he's been backing it up. He was perfect on field goals, uh, helped uh, USC uh, build that lead to uh, above three scores. So, hey, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I hope he comes out with uh, some more
3: outlandish outfits and keeps drilling field goals. I you know I check on some of the the players drip and you know sometimes when I see some of the outfits I'm like I try to look it up and see like all right where is this from like where are these guys even shopping at and seeing some guys with like Prada shirts and like Jordan Addison the first game of the season had a Prada shirt on I was like interesting shirt I'm gonna look this up just see fifteen hundred dollars shirt so you know if, if you're walking in with a fifteen hundred dollars shirt we're in a different category of of, of drip. Than than I ever will be in, so I'm just gonna let you guys do what you do, <laughs> kind of thing. I thought it was interesting that Makai Blackman and uh, what was it Brendan um, Brendan Wright? No, Makai Blackman and Kyle Ford both had the yes. same sweater, um, which is a cool looking sweater. Someone asked
2: Mackay um, if he got his drip from Roy Manning uh, as he was walking into the post game <laughs> conference, and he responded,
3: "No, Roy Manning gets my gets his drip from me." And Roy Manning is usually suited up at the games. He, he looks is. he looks like an agent. Well, we, Chris and I saw him before the Oregon State game. We we're like. That's somebody important over there. We're far away, but like that guy is dressed to the nines. He looks good over there, so um, he, he's got to be somebody important. As we walk by him later, we're like, oh, wait, that's just Roy Manning. He's a coach on the team. It's not like an agent or something is down here. Uh, and the last question we'll have tonight from Danny. Who is the uh, – actually, let me uh, – Answer one of my questions previously. Darwin Barlow, no, he's not redshirting. He's already played in five games this year. I checked my charts, and he has already played, you know, mostly on special teams. Obviously, Danny, who is the most underutilized player thus far this season? Who? I, I don't want to call him underutilized
2: because he's getting targets, but it just feels, you know, we talk about Brendan Rice having a breakout game, and it just feels like like he it, the potential is there he is a very very important part he's a little bit bigger a little bit uh different physical profile than uh Jordan Addison and Mario Williams like he is going to be a very important part of this of this USC offense down the stretch I have no doubt of that I haven't been acing my predictions a lot lately I'm a 2 and 4 in the staff spread picks but I feel very confident in saying you're going to see much, much bigger things from Brendan Rice down the stretch. It's not that he's being underutilized; he just doesn't have like a highlight reel play like the Jordan Addison touchdown catch against Stanford or the the uh, Mario the Mario Williams sho- shoestring catch this past weekend. Um, so I feel like we're going to see that from Brendan Rice before long. I, you know, like you mentioned, you catch a defense sl- sleep- sleeping, you have uh, the little. Um, Comebacker route uh, to you know five or six yards down the field to uh, Brendan Rice and he turns around, shakes his defender, and he's gone. I we're going to see that at some point this season, and it's going to be beautiful.
3: Jack, you got a pick?
2: <laughs> You're going with Brendan Rice. As when and well? I agree with Austin? I'm sure that you know. That's
1: I'm not, sure that
3: this has nothing to do with his throw and everything to do with the fact that he just I, thinks my opinion is
1: great. I was going to say Brendan Rice. So good pick.
3: I think my pick would be Nick Figueroa. You know, he's a guy I thought would would get more run. He's not playing a ton of snaps in games. Um, And, you know, he showed what he can do the other night. He's been close on a couple other sacks throughout the the year. So a little bit surprising to me he hasn't got a little bit more run. And part of that is because Thule's so good. Because they're playing in a similar position. And um, at least in the Arizona State game, obviously I haven't done the full breakdown yet on participation. But in the Arizona State game, it was – Thule would play a certain amount of steps, three, four, five, and then they would when they would rotate in the three other defensive linemen. That's when Thule would then move inside for a, a snap or two, and that's when Nick Figueroa would come on the field in the place uh, where Thule had been on the outside edge. So, because Thule is so valuable, he's on the field all the time, and when he's playing on the edge, that's been the similar position that Nick Figueroa plays. So, I think they could still find ways to use him and, and utilize him a little bit more. So, I think he would be my underutilized so far this season.
2: And I'd say a similar thing about Brandon too, where you know the fact that he's the third best receiver on USC's offense has a lot less to do with the fa- with his skill level, a lot more to do with just the fact that jordan addison and mario williams are really really good
3: i think that's gonna wrap us up jack you got anything to say you're gonna, you're gonna close us out or you're gonna let me do it here uh, i'll let you take that one <laughs> jack great job powering through on your flu game today
1: <laughs> thank you i feel like michael jordan for sure
3: <laughs> chicken soup is what everyone in the comments wants with, to know. with
1: with hot sauce apparently
3: oh yeah i always go hot sauce this with is
1: the worst sauce. it's been for some, like, i was fine this morning
3: tea with tea with honey too my friend tea with honey Lots of, lots of hot tea. We'll get those vocal cords back up and and running there. But thank you guys, everyone, for watching us uh, this week. We'll be back on Thursday for Tunnel Vision before. You know uh, ryan chris and i head to uh, salt lake city i believe you'll have jack high and rj if i am correct we'll see you know we have that rotating cast now because we have so many cast members that we can throw in here give you guys some different opinions different voices as well uh, but make sure you guys are subscribing make sure you guys are hitting that like button down below that helps us out helps the videos get a little bit more reach as well we try to incorporate as many you know, unique uh, views as possible in our chats as well, so that you guys have have a great chat time. You know, when we can't answer every single question at the very beginning of the show. So make sure you're doing all those things. We really appreciate you guys. Make sure you're signing up to be a member of USCFootball.com. The pair style is the largest group of USC fans in the world and has been going strong for more than 25 years. So you definitely want to be a part of that, so you can catch all the content and stuff that we'll have throughout this week, leading up to a huge game. But it's only huge because USC was able to handle business against Washington State, get the win uh, against the Cougars, 30-17, to taking care of business in the second half, particularly on the defensive end. That's going to wrap it up. That's the voiceless man, Jack, over there. That's Austin. I'm Shotgun. Appreciate you guys for joining us. Thanks for tuning in, guys.